Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. Ready? Norman. Give me a second. Hi, everyone. This is Priscilla. Norman. Oh, and, it's, and this is Norma. What Sorry. the hell kind of... Sh- we're going to try it a third time. So, okay. Hi, everyone. This is Priscilla. And this is Norma. And you're watching <laughs> It's the Mystery for Me on the It's the Mystery for Me channel. Watching? Yeah, you know, like Disney Channel. Do, 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 do. Right. It's Tuesday. You are, what, like, almost done with the week, the work week, right? Just a few more days to go. It's not Tuesday. No, no, this premieres on Tuesday. Oh. Oh, my. Okay. (laughs) Did I scare you? Yeah, you did. You're like, wait. I have things to do on Tuesdays. Yeah. Aside from the podcast. We get it. We get it. Anyways, back at it again with the back at it again. I always say Tuesdays are for cautionary tales, and this Tuesday is no different. I will say this about today's case. It actually kind of mimics our first case ever that we did. Do you remember our first case? Of course I remember our first case. What was our first case then, Norma? Um, the mayor. Right. Mayor Kilpatrick and Mayor Green. So our episode for today has to do with the murder of a stripper. This case is solved, though. And I think Mm -hmm. the culprit is going to be surprising. Are there multiple suspects? There are a few suspects to go around, yeah. It's not going to be too much of a whodunit, but... But it'll still be a surprise. I don't know if it's... I think what's surprising about it is... Well, I'm not going to give it away. You're just going to have to listen and and hear it just like everybody else. All right. Before we take a deep dive into today's case, probably a good time as any to talk about the sources. And today's source um, mainly comes from the Forensic Files episode on this case, which is season 13, episode 50. I will link that in the show notes, so you guys can check it out if you want to. The episode is about 20 minutes long. To my knowledge, this is the only TV show or documentary that is specific to this case. Basically, I got most of my information from the Forensic Files show, and I did find, like, a handful of articles. I mean, like, I think that there are only, like, three or four in existence online. So I read every single article there was about this, and I watched the Forensic Files episode. 
And to see more of today's sources and pictures, you guys already know, check out the website, www.itsthemysteryforme.com. Oh yeah, I meant to mention that we also have a giveaway going on right now. So again, if you go on our Instagram page, it's the same as our name, It's the Mystery for Me. Go to our posts talking about how we crossed the 13,000 downloads. It's one of our most recent posts. And go ahead and write a comment and take a guess as to what number you think we'll be at by the end of the year. But you have to take this guess again by Thanksgiving Day. Hey, you should enter. I got some money that I'd like to give away. Oh. No, not you, Norma. I was like, really? <laughs> no, no, not you. Everybody else listening okay. should enter for a chance to win some money for the new year. Why well, not? You were, I mean, you were looking literally at me. Well, I look at you when I talk on the podcast, Norma, because I'm trying to get some sort of eye contact going. Okay, well, I just want them to know, like, I didn't just say that out of oh, nowhere. Like, okay. you specifically made eye contact with me right. at that moment. Okay, Norma. So, anyways, we have less than probably 60 days, probably 50 days left to the new year. So how much listens or slash downloads will we get by then? Take a guess, and the person who is closest to the actual number is going to get a little something-something. In other random news, we're trying to see if we end up going to True Crime Con, or really it's just Crime Con. If you know Comic Con, which people just say Comic Con, you know, if you know that, then it's basically the true crime version of it and it's in vegas this year at some point at the end of april beginning of may and it'd be really cool if we could end up on podcast row or something like that or if we got a table i know you've gone to vegas we know because you missed an episode (laughs) (laughs) we're not forgetting that part okay so we'll we'll make sure that we record two episodes you know, before we go to Vegas. Yeah, because, you know, Vegas can just go so many different ways. Mm -hmm. So I agree. We will definitely be recording ahead of time. But it looks like we're about to hit every single episode that we're planning on hitting for the rest of this year. The only break I foresee is the one around Thanksgiving and usually a break between New Year's and, well, the New Year. So that's about it. I got a few more things planned for you guys. I got a few more stories that I need to tell before the year closes out. If anything we say on the podcast and I guess our presentation of the stories, if any of it intrigues you in any way and makes you feel like, yes, I love that there are two black sisters telling this. I love that they have some sort of legal perspective. I like that they bring, try to bring some sort of lightness to an overall like dark theme right like Mm -hmm. if you if you agree with those statements then you should definitely leave us a review on apple Podcasts, give us five stars and show your love that way all right well we're gonna go ahead and turn to this week's story because we've done enough talking we've talked a lot of people's ears off so here is the shamaya smith story Shemaya Smith was born on October 19, 1984. The Forensic Files episode, I have to say, did not focus too much on who Shemaya was as a person. As a YouTube commenter pointed out as well, it didn't also focus on the dynamics between Shemaya and her murderer. And you'll understand what I mean 
later on in the episode. What I do know from the episode and from the articles is that Shemaya was around 22 years old around the time of this tragedy. The episode also made it clear that Shemaya had dropped out of high school to pursue a stripping career. All of this was extremely local to the New York area, right? To the Northeast. This happened in Connecticut. So, wait, it happened in Connecticut? Is she from New York? I'm confused. She's not from New York. She's from Connecticut. But you said the New York area. It's near the New York area. Oh, you said near the New York area? Yeah, did I not say that? That's not what I heard. Normally, we go rewind it back. I think I said near the New York area. Oh, okay. But anyways, I say it like that because we're in New York. I know, but then you said Connecticut, and I was like, wait a second. Well, New that's York and not... Connecticut are nearby. I mean, if we drive 15 minutes, we're in Greenwich. I understand, but you made it seem like Connecticut All right. is a part of New York. Okay, let's go back to this. Anyways, she worked at a strip club in Connecticut called Kahoot. There's more than one, but she worked at the Vernon, Connecticut one specifically. What kind of name is that? Kahoot. Kahoot, like the game. You never played Kahoot in school? What is that? No. You've never played Kahoot, Norma? (laughs) No. It's like you enter your name on your phone and the teacher like asks a question and then you have to like submit your answer via cell phone. No. I used to play this with my students all the time. Yeah, so my past life as a high school teacher. Mm -mm. Anyways. I also learned from the Forensic Files episode that Shamaya lived with her parents and her boyfriend in her parents' home. She had a sister, Monique. She might have had other siblings, but again, this was not elaborated on in the episode or in the articles I read. And really, I wish there were more adjectives to describe Shamaya. And it was hard for me when I watched the episodes and I saw like how it just wasn't tailored to that. It was tailored specifically to the tragedy. And yes, this this show is definitely about shining a light on those tragedies. But I would like to also be able to paint a picture of the person that we're talking about. I'd like to humanize the person. So because there's not too much more details about Shemaya. I'm going to go ahead and move forward to the day of her disappearance, which was March 14th of 2007. Again, at this point, Shamaya was 22 years old. March 14th should have been like any other day. Shamaya would have gone to work and then come home from work and then rinse and repeat, kind of like any adult does when they're working a job, right? Mm -hmm. You kind of have a routine, you stick to that routine. On March 14th, 2007, she received a voicemail from somebody named Kenneth Otto Sr. In his voicemail, he just simply said, Hi, hi, Maya, it's me. I'm back in town. Let me know if you want to hook up. Bye. And he says bye like that. I wish I could play it for you guys, but honestly, I looked into copyright stuff and it could open us up to liability, so I can't (laughs) do that. But if you listen to the Forensic Files episode, if you watch it, I mean, you'll hear it. But he literally is like, bye. Mm -hmm. I'm like, who? I'm like, whose man's is this? Listening to this. I'm like, whose man's is this? The information I have regarding the day of Shamaya's disappearance comes specifically from interviews that police officers had with the people of interest in her case. The first person being her boyfriend. 
So her boyfriend says to police that he saw her leaving the house and that was the last time he saw her. Basically, he had some sort of drug involvement or that is what forensic files would like for you to believe. He had some sort of drug involvement. So they were a little bit skeptical when they said, when he said, you know, that she had left the house and likely gotten a ride with somebody else and he had not seen her because they're just like, really? Like, this is your girlfriend? You really didn't see who she went with? Like, it just seems too convenient. You're probably at this point like, okay, how do we get to the suspects? Like, how did this happen? Like, she was missing, like she went missing. But I'm just kind of trying to, I'm trying to paint an image. Because then Ken Otto Sr., he also places himself with Shamaya this day she went missing. And he says that, like, you know, like I mentioned earlier, he left a voicemail. And that she called him back and she said, you know, you need to bring me to work. Um, Can you pick me up? And he picked her up and he dropped her off at work at Kahoot. Then there's a third person, you guys. His name is Harold Brown. He also claims that he saw Shamaya on March 14th, 2007, and that he had picked her up for work and that he had dropped her off at work. Then he proceeded to go in the club and spend some shmoney and then dropped her home after work. So at this point, detectives are like, huh? And I know you guys are like, huh? Because there's a lot happening. I mean, but I just kind of have to paint the picture for the day of her disappearance. So clearly she was going to work and She never came home from work. And that's what everybody has to keep in mind. So that does alarm her family. And her family is the one that ultimately files a missing persons report. That is what then brings us to those three suspects I named. Her boyfriend, Kenneth Sr. um, Well, Kenneth Otto Sr. And Harold Brown. Basically, these three individuals are the ones who lay out what happened during the day. So I just thought, okay, it's probably better to start with them and then work a little bit backwards. So at this point, you're like thinking to yourself, okay, so did Kenneth Otto Sr. um, bring Shemaya to work or was it Harold Brown? I mean, Harold is insisting. He's like, "Uh uh-uh, I was there and I dropped her off at home. Her family are saying that I didn't, like, that's not true. And her family's saying, he, like, listen, she didn't come home. Nobody dropped her off. He didn't drop her off. And if he did, she just never came in the house. She never made it in. Well, guys, they've run back surveillance footage. And they realize, like, that Harold had picked up Shemaya the day before she went missing. On March 13th, he had brought her to work. And he had proceeded to wait and throw some shmoney and then drove her home. So he literally was about to literally implicate himself because of his insistence of like, no, I was there. I saw her. I'm like, wow. Okay. That was probably the most, like one of the most jaw dropping parts about this whole story. (laughs) Cause I was just like, oh my goodness. He literally almost implicated himself Mm -hmm. for what would later be murder. So they realize it's an honest mistake and he literally like the surveillance footage shows him coming in March 13th and her coming in and everything was copacetic. So who do they go to after this? They eliminated Harold Brown, her boyfriend. Yes, he's still a question mark, but they start to zone in very quickly on Kenneth Sr. Okay, Kenneth Otto Sr. Let's talk about Kenneth Otto Sr. Because he is a regular customer at Cahoots. 
And you could tell by his voicemail to Shemaya that he had established some sort of, you know, rapport with Shemaya. He had her phone number. He could call her. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Right, right. So, and this is not, I want to, honestly, I was going to say that is common, but then I wanted to be like, no, I can't really say that because I really don't know if Mm -hmm. this is common. Um, I, after this, I'm going to try and find a TikTok and try to pin it to the show notes too, because there was a TikTok that came across my line recently. And it was about a girl who was murdered, who was a stripper. And so many Mm. people in the comments, guys, were talking about how other strippers that they knew were murdered and nothing was done. And it was, the comments were so overwhelming. I just could not believe like this many people had been murdered. And the, I guess why this video exploded was because the girl had a locker in the stripping, like at the strip club decorated for a girl who had gone missing. So people were unsure, like she, it was very ambiguous. So you're like, okay, is she decorating this locker just cause like, you know, until you got to the comments, you realize, wait a minute, like this is a real thing that is really happening everywhere Mm -hmm. and at crazy rates. Um, so I'm going to try to like find that TikTok. It's kind of hard to find them once you like do, you know, I like so many videos that it becomes difficult to find ones from like the past, but I'm going to try and find that and put it in the show notes. It's weird that TikTok doesn't have like categories to put your videos into. Yeah. don't do that yet. Yeah. People have been saying that lately. They're like, come on, you got to step it up. And honestly, that would be great because then I could at least sort it. Cause Mm -hmm. there's times I'm on my personal TikTok and I might see a story where I'm like, Oh, we should cover this for the podcast. But then it gets lost in my other like craziness that I'd be liking or mm-hmm. like, I don't know, interacting with. So, right. I went off on a tangent again. Um, but let's, let's try to rewind. Okay. We went off on a tangent, but it all started when I said, you know, basically whether or not having a stripper's number in your phone is like, or having a stripper's personal number is common. That's mm-hmm. where we were starting at. So the answer is, I don't know if this is common. Um, I feel like at the strip club, practices would probably be not to do that and not to use your real name because based off of the TikTok comments I read, it just seemed like when you did do those things, there was somebody, a creep that took advantage and then all of a sudden, like, you were just another name on a locker, you know? So... I'm sure that, like, in these types of, like, jobs, you're going to be a little bit more careful about, you know, using your real name, giving out your real number. But Shamaya, she did provide him, at least according to Forensic Files, with her number. She did give it to him, or he had access to her number. What more about Kenneth Otto Sr.? Kenneth Otto Sr., at the time was married with two kids. He had been married for 30 years. So again, remember, he places himself with Shemaya the day she goes missing on March 14, 2007. Mm -hmm. And so they ask him where he dropped her off at. He said, you know, the strip club and they check for surveillance footage. And of course, they didn't find any footage of her entering the strip club. He also tried to say it was a different Kahoot Mm -hmm. establishment. Which they also were able to just be like, yeah, no, it wasn't the other Kahoot either. Like, you did not drop her off at all. Our cameras are working. Okay, this already does not sound right. Right, this doesn't sound right. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, Shamaya's boyfriend at this point is just like, 
listen, it really isn't me. And Ken Otto has put himself at the scene, has left her a voicemail, meaning he has put himself with Shamaya on the day she goes missing, right? Yeah. And has left her a very, very friendly voicemail. Okay. What time did he leave the voicemail at? He left it early in the morning, like 11 something, 12 o'clock, and she was supposed to start work at three o'clock. And that was after he picked her up, quote unquote? No, that was before he picked her up. It looks like she might have returned the call. Oh, okay. I thought it was like maybe a voicemail he had left to like cover his tracks kind of thing. No, no. But that's going to bring us somewhere else. But that's, yeah, it's a good one. I should also mention that Ken is also very wealthy. Um, And at this point in time, he is 56 years old. And again, like I said, he was married. He is married. Yeah, he's married for 30 years. He has two grown kids. Right. So Mm -hmm. no criminal background, no type of like any type of violence in his past. So Shamaya's sister is informed by detectives that Ken left Shamaya a voicemail. So she figures, you know what? I'm just going to call him and see what he says. Like, I'm going to call him back. And say, like, hey, I got your message. Like, when do you want to hook up? And just see if he calls me back or not. Right? And honestly, very smart idea. Because if he calls back, you know, well, maybe he doesn't know what happened to her. Or, I mean, he could just be playing, like, you know, playing along. But if he doesn't call back, I think that's even more telling. So mm-hmm. so she calls him. She does the whole, like, hey, Ken, just calling you back. Bye. You know, the whole, like, nines. She goes to... Well, is that how you say it? The nines? No, that's definitely not. Oh, gosh. She goes, okay. Well, she does the whole thing. And does Ken call her back? No, he doesn't call her back. And at this point, I'm watching the story and I'm like, I know why Ken doesn't call her back. Because Ken knows that Shemaya is probably deceased, mm-hmm. murdered at his hands. That's what I'm thinking at this point. I bet y'all are thinking the same thing. Detectives are running into just brick walls, guys. And then one detective decides that he's going to look up Shamaya's cell phone records. And he notices that just a few days before she goes missing, that she makes a call and it pings off of towers that are near some very rural property somewhere in Connecticut. But it turns out that this rural piece of property is owned by none other than... Kenneth's, yep, Kenneth Otto Sr. owns the property. So, and it's 75 acres, by the way. So that's huge. How convenient for you, Ken. This does not sound like it's going down a good road for him, at least. Right. So at this point, they're like, all right, let's head down there. Let's check it out. So they go down there. They check it out. They observe a few things. They observe a trailer, a fire pit, a bunch of like heavy machinery, it's like a lot of random stuff. So they ask him straight up, like, can we, you know, search your land? Do you consent to this? Because that is one way to do it. If mm-hmm. you can't get a warrant, you can just ask the person, hi, do I have your permission to search your home? Right? So if the person says yes, great, you have their permission to search. But as soon as they, re- like, they revoke their consent, even if it's 10 minutes later, even if it's 10 seconds later, you no longer have the privilege of searching their home. So anything you found after they said, no, you can't search, that would be inadmissible in court. So inadmissible in court. Sorry. Mm-hmm. 
Anyways, so the, Ken does give them permission and they're searching and searching and they're like, wow, there's like a lot of random stuff going on here. Like, what's up with this trailer? It just was like, it was a dirt road leading to the house. There was just a whole lot of nothing going on, but the fire pit definitely caught their attention. And when they go over to the fire pit, they're digging and they're digging and they decide to bring in a cadaver dog. And the cadaver dog seems to get a hit off of something and Ken freaks out and immediately tells them they have to go. They got to go right now. So he wasn't concerned by all the other detectives on the land. But as soon as a dog comes in and seems to have a hit for something, he is all of a sudden like, oh, hell no. Y'all getting the fuck out of here. Y'all about to get out of here because y'all ain't going to catch me. That's really what I'm thinking at this point that he's probably thinking. So they leave, and this is the craziest part of all. It takes them eight days to get a warrant to come back. Damn. Let me just read to Why you. did it take so long? That's what I said, too. But let me read you a YouTube comment from a Christopher King about this. And I was like, he's right. He wrote, okay, wait a minute. I was a practicing attorney and I got to ask, how in the hell did it take eight days to get a warrant to return to that property when the cadaver dogs signaled at the fire pit? Mm -hmm. Shit, you can get on the horn to a judge and get one on the same day with that, capital letters for that. Um, And someone else commented right under Terry and said, I was a paralegal for over 25 years. Your question is valid. Eight days in a missing person's case is inexcusable. Um, yeah, I agree. Like, eight days. Y'all saw he had all kinds of weird equipment there. Reasonable suspicion. Like, Right. There's hello? so many other... Ugh. You could get a search warrant if you say, like, hey, a cadaver dog hit on something. Yeah. Like, that might do it, right? But in those eight days, there was also a crazy rainstorm. Like, it rained nonstop. So you just think about it. Evidence that's outside, especially in the fire pit, mm-hmm. is washing away, is being contaminated. Mm-hmm. There's so many nature, you know, natural forces happening at this point in time. So what is there going to be when they get there? So they finally do get there eight days later, right? And they said they walk in there and it's like a madman's house, like... The dirt road leading up to there, leading up to the house is even worse than before. The trailer that was there is broken into pieces and burned. The fire pit is still going. It seems like it hasn't been touched, which they're happy about. But everything else, they're like, basically, apparently he was even in a damn, um, one of those trucks, trailer tractors or something when they pulled up in there with a warrant. Like, so... Clearly, if you walked into the property the first day when they go and ask to search versus eight days later, there has been significant movement and not in a good way. Before we go deeper into that, I will rewind a bit and say that on the first day that they were there at the bottom of the fire pit, they found something. They found a burnt key. Okay. So at this point, like, wow, that's amazing. But you will not believe what happens next. I mean, the detective that does this snaps. You only see this in movies. They are somehow able to, like, salvage a key, clean out the key, and they put the key in Shemaya's home door, and... It opens her door. It opens her door. Right. So at this point, I'm now at this point, I'm thinking, okay, 
why isn't a warrant being given? But I guess there's too much circumstantial stuff happening here. She could have dropped her key. We don't know that there's foul play involved. I mean, the key was burnt. It was in the middle of the fire pit. But it's Um, sort of like, okay, but how did it get there? Right. There's too many questions around it. And they want these warrants to be basically as strong as possible. You want that shit to be unbreakable. Mm -hmm. Because if someone could break a warrant, that means that essentially they could get everything you found under the warrant thrown out in court and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have no case because literally all that ex- evidence even though you've seen it you know the truth blah 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 it does not exist in the eyes of the court and i i know that is probably the craziest Crazy. part that's the craziest thing that i learned in law school that i was just like oh, but it's right there but it doesn't matter because it's literally like Fruit. Did you learn this in criminal procedure? Yes. Okay, I didn't take her in pro yes. yet. Yes. It's like fruit yeah. from the tainted... Like, it's just... Is it tainted fruit from a tree or fruit from a tainted tree? I don't know, but something is tainted. <laughs> it ain't good either. You know what I'm saying? It's just the kind of fruit you're like, uh-uh, I ain't gonna touch that because you don't know what kind of mess is with it. That's exactly what's happening here. Where the court is like, we touch this and we send this person to jail and they got us on a whole lot of constitutional law like stuff they could really clean up clean the house out basically so yeah prosecution detectives they're very very careful with these things and that's why you also hear the whole chain of custody thing come up when you're watching tv shows because you if you can't show a clean chain of custody then the evidence can't come in that's all the same thing like it's coming from it's fruit of a poisonous tree that's the saying It's fruit from a poisonous tree. Everything from that tree is going to be poisonous, so you cannot touch it. And that is, and that is another lesson from criminal procedure. Um, Hopefully, that's I don't know. Hopefully, that makes sense though. Um, All right, so let's talk about what else they found when they got there. They found that the trailer still had some sort of carpet in it, so they were able to send that off to testing. They did find bones that were identified as humans. Yep. So they sent that out to be tested. Mm -hmm. They found part of a foot in the fire pit. Yes. And they do show the graphics on forensic files. Yes. And it's clearly a foot. You can see the whole, like... Basically, if anything, it's just like it's pretty burnt, Mm. you know, so the skin is not the same. It's not going to have the same elasticity. Is that how you say it? Elasticity? Elastic? Um, It's not the same, basically. Elasticity? It's not the same. I thought it's elasticity. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I don't know. Great. I'm a lawyer, I swear. Pass the bar on the first try. I don't know if that With flying colors. No, I don't know. No, I don't know. It's okay. But just know that the foot had been burned significantly, but it was still enough there for them to be able to identify it as a foot. Like, if you saw the episode, you would know it was a foot. They did find some bones that were from animals, and they actually found that the first time they came with his consent. And when they asked him about it, he basically gave off this sadistic type of vibe and said basically that he liked to kill animals and that was his prerogative. And honestly, 
serial killer 101 or just killer 101 tells you that if someone likes to harm animals it's usually a bad bad sign Mm -hmm. of harming like you know taking harm to extra like what what do the animal do to you right you know i i can't that's where i draw my line so when they send this off to a forensic pathologist forensic expert the expert is able to say that the bones found aside from the animal bones right the other bones found in the fire pit were human and the foot specifically they were able to get dna from the foot they compared it to the dna of shamaya's parents and it was determined that it was in fact shamaya now you know if you're finding a piece of the foot a piece of a foot in a fire pit that mm-hmm. has actively been burning likely for eight days. This is what the forensic pathologist says because they're like, the bones are just so brittle. They're just so, you know, they've been in contact with high heat. I for can't believe days. that, you know, like, okay, fine. But I would have expected it to be, I don't know, down to bones. Right. After burning for eight days. Well, her foot was really the only part that was salvageable. Wow. But again, this is Forensic Files. And like you guys saw in earlier episodes we've done of the podcast, there's a lot of missing information in a lot of these episodes. So take it with a grain of salt. They also were able to look at the carpet from the trailer and it did show some type of blood splatter. And when the, basically, when the expert observing it was, you know, trying to piece it together... She formed what looked like a human body out of tape. Like she was just using tape to kind of outline where the blood spatter was. And when she looked at it again from a distance, it literally looked like some sort of human shape. So it was clear that Shamaya might have been laying on this, but they could not tell from DNA if it was her. And you know why? It's because of so much damage that came to the trailer. Like he Mm -hmm. had torn it apart. He had tried to burn it. It had been in the rain. So it's like they could tell it was blood, but they could not identify like whose blood it was. So at that point, they know that, listen, this dude did it and we need to arrest him. So of course they go ahead and they arrest Otto but he's not in his home. He's at an airport, guys. He's at an airport with a bunch of cash and a lot of Viagra. Because, of course, I should mention that in his first ever interview with cops, when they're just talking to him about Shamaya and the fact that he left her voicemail, right? They asked him if he had a sexual relationship with Shamaya. And he made it a point to say, that he could not have a sexual relationship with her, even if he wanted to, because he suffered from erectile dysfunction. Just perform when he needed to perform. So, of course, yes, they found him in the airport with a bunch of Viagra and a lot of cash. And they were certain that he was trying to go off somewhere, probably where mm-hmm. you couldn't be extradited. Because, yes, there are certain countries in this world. Cuba. Is Cuba still one of them? Oh, actually, I don't know. No, I don't know. But there are certain countries in this world. If you're, you are ever accused of a crime and you got on a plane to one of these countries, the United States could not, and let's say you committed this crime in the United States, the United States could not extradite you back to the U.S. to serve or like to, to basically answer for your crimes, right? So you basically are a free person because the other country doesn't have to hand you over as a matter of fact it would be against the law in the other country to hand you over so 
Yeah, that's how extradition works. They think he was trying to head somewhere where he would likely not be able to be extradited from. I see Syria. I see Uganda, Ukraine, Sudan, Somalia. These are all countries that you can be extradited from. Yeah. Don't give our listeners ideas. This is not legal advice. We are not... (laughs) We are not providing you with any type of legal advice. I don't know, guys. I'm seeing it on Google. Who knows? Yeah, you know, if you're, if you're curious, definitely Google it. There are plenty of countries. Um, again, it was also a point in law school that made me go, oh, that's interesting. Like, we really are not... Like, our authority only reaches such a high position. Like, meaning it only goes to a certain extent. We can't extend it further than it can go, even though you might look at something and go, that is unjust, that is immoral, that is whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. if our authority can't reach it, they can't reach it. So, of course, her family was devastated. They knew that she was a stripper and they always wanted her to be careful. And Mm -hmm. just because you work in a profession like with being a stripper it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you can be demeaned as a person that you should be spoken to in a certain way that um you should all of a sudden not be able to come forward when something happens to you you should always be able to come forward like your your job title doesn't doesn't it should not i should say because it does unfortunately but it should not be a method of like okay, I'm going to decide to help you versus I'm not going to help you. Mm-hmm. It should not be a deciding factor in whether law enforcement wants to get involved just because your title is stripper versus lawyer. You know right. what I'm saying? It shouldn't matter at all. You should be able to get the same type of help. Because um, you're a human being. Right. And in this case, I mean, listen, the police did not piss me off in this case. Like, I thought that they did... A good job hitting the ground running. I do question the eight days thing. Um, But they did arrest Kenneth Otto Sr. within two months. And what's interesting is that his wife does divorce him during this, right? Mm. But honestly, to me, what I'm thinking is she might have divorced him because of the fact that Shemaya's family was likely going to bring a suit for wrongful death. Right? Yeah. You inadvertently cause the death of my child. And so you owe us money. And plus, he's a wealthy businessman. So you know he got deep pockets. Mm-hmm. So I think, honestly, that the divorce and her, her family's attorneys argued this too was a way to kind of circumvent what he would end up owing her family. It was a way to put up some sort of shield to be like, uh-uh-uh, I don't own this property anymore. My ex-wife owns all of it, mm-hmm. so you can't touch me, and you can't touch her because she has nothing to do with this because now she's solo, she's single, and she owns all this stuff, and that means I don't own it, so yeah. It so. happens all the time. Oh, yeah. People do shysty <laughs> stuff like this mm-hmm. all the time, but some courts will recognize it. I will say that I was reading some sort of court report where the judge did not necessarily believe that argument from Shemaya's family. They were kind of just like, no, this is a divorce proceeding. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fine. Shemaya's family does end up winning um, some sort of award. I'm going to tell you guys about that in a second. So what actually happened to Shemaya? That's probably something 
that people are wondering. And the coroner's office was never really able to decipher what happened, right? They they were able to say, okay, she died as a result of homicide, but the cause of death, they were not sure of. Well, he had burnt her, right? He had, and honestly, he did enough to raise red flags. The fact that he had destroyed a lot of his land in the eight days since they had been back. I mean, that's a red flag right there. Mm-hmm. But um, regardless of that, detectives, you know, in an autopsy is able to at least tell the story from the victim's perspective of what happened, right? Because they're no longer here to say, this is what happened, this is what this person did to me. So that's what the autopsy is there for. In this case, because the fire was so hot, literally, and had burned for several days, and they literally only had a little bit of her left, Forensic Files specifically mentions her foot. There might have been other pieces, but this is the one that they focused on. It just didn't give enough of a story for Shemaya and what might have happened to her. But Mm -hmm. it was clearly homicide. Um, The detectives think that she likely took a ride with him that day to work. And he might have done a detour to his trailer out in that remote part of town on the 75 acres he owns. And that somehow in the trailer, they got into some sort of scuffle that led to him likely shooting Shemaya and then rolling her body up in the carpet, which would kind of make sense if he rolled her body in the carpet, because like I said, that expert was able to piece back together like the shape of a body on the carpet. So that would kind of make sense. But that's what they think happened. They rolled that he rolled her up in the carpet and that he then burned her, especially after he noted like they were on to him. He could have probably started beforehand, but you never know. Like, mm-hmm. it was never super clear. So we'll go ahead and we're going to skip to the outcome of the case. So this case does end up going to trial. And at the end of it, Otto is now 58 years old and he is sentenced to 60 years in prison. So he's never getting out. He's dying in prison. Yes. He's not getting out. He was sentenced for her murder, to be clear, and also two counts of tampering with evidence. Um, And this had Mm -hmm. to do also with, like, burning her body, the tampering with evidence. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure for, like, essentially destroying his land in an effort to tamper with evidence. So 60 years is a long time, but like I said last time, 60 years uh, with good time served and stuff like that could be in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not to life or for life. No, it would be 60 years to life, if anything. So he can can basically get out on parole, do you think? Yeah, he can get out. Um, He can get out and he doesn't have to go up before a parole board. You only have to go up before a parole board when you have a sentence like 20 years to life. life. Right, right. So he wouldn't have to go up before parole board. He is guaranteed to get out if he is able to live that long, right? But he is in his, at that point, he was 58. I mean, he's he's not, you said he was sentenced to 60 years. I know, so he's not going to be able to. I'm pretty sure, like, he's not going to. Right, he's not going to be able to. 120. Right, right. So he's not going to make it out of prison. And when her family was asked about this verdict, they said to the Hartford Courant magazine, um, you know, it's life and that's what we were looking for. 
And essentially, it yeah. is life, right? Because like mm-hmm. Norma pointed out, the math is mathing, right? 60, <laughs> 58 plus 60 mm-hmm. is going to get you up there. And even if he got out on good behavior, that man's going to be in his late hundreds, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I'm sorry, early hundreds. Um, but still, that is that is very old. Weird fact from this case is that his wife, Kathleen, and him did divorce during the process, but she has maintained that he has been, that he is innocent. She does not believe that he is guilty of this crime. I mean, listen, she was married to him for, I mean, she was married to him for a long time. And you want to think that your loved one is not a monster in this way. But I mean, how else do you explain a foot in the fire pit? I just want to know that from her. Like, mm-hmm. what is your thinking? How did it on get your there? property? Right. On your property, you on a secluded property. Like, how do you explain the voicemail that he left her? How do you explain the fact right. that, you know, like he's a regular at this club. Okay. I get it. Everyone's marriage is different. I'm not judging. I think whatever, make up your own rules, but I'm just saying about these connections to Shamaya. How do you deny those things? I mean, she probably is saying, you know what? He, maybe he had some sort of relationship with her, but he wouldn't murder her. But how can you say that for certain? You probably didn't even know he had a relationship with Shamaya outside of work. You know? Did you know he was a regular? I don't know. I don't know. But I thought it was interesting that, like, the series, Forensic Files, really, really honed in on the fact that he was this wealthy man and he did X, Y, and Z in the community and stuff like that. But a YouTuber pointed this out, and I thought this was a very fair assessment that more focus should have been on the fact that he was in a position of of power as a white, wealthy man, and that Shamaya was not in a position of power as a black female who worked as a stripper, right? And and how do those, um, how does that type of contrast come into play into a case like this, right? Where Mm -hmm. we, we are happy that Shamaya does receive justice, um, at the end of this story, right? But Shamaya should have been able to live her life, to enjoy her life. You know, her story shouldn't have been cut short. It was only because of him that it was. I think that they handled this very, very well for the most part. I mean, it could have gone horribly. They could have let him out of prison and stuff. And I will say this. Mm -hmm. He has tried to appeal many times. And he has been told no, that he can't appeal. And meaning he, he can appeal. But he's been told no, that... He has to basically stay in prison, that there's no reason that he should be allowed out early, that there was no, you know, foul play or there was Mm -hmm. no ineffectiveness of counsel. Right. There was nothing of that magnitude. There was no error that was harmful. Mm -hmm. So that's what they're looking for with a lot of these things. It's just like, okay, was an error, did an error happen and was it a harmful error or was it a harmless error? You know, mm-hmm. because if it's harmful, now we might have to do a whole re- retrial. But if it was harmless and you would have gone to jail anyways, we don't got to turn this shit over. And that's really where the courts almost always land. There mm-hmm. are cases where they land on like, actually, this was a like this was not a harmless error. This was a harmful error. And for that reason, we have to overturn the conviction. And now we have to do a retrial or you know, prosecution might decide not to proceed with another, you know, trial. But yeah, another, another law school mini lesson. I forgot to also mention that like his wife, well now ex-wife, petitioned the court for items that were seized 
during this investigation, including guns that might have been used to murder Shamaya. But I was just like, why do you want those why? things back? That's so weird. Like, maybe she's just trying to, you know, probably liquidate as much as they can, as much as she can in terms of their assets. Because in 2013, a judge ordered that Kenneth Otto Sr. pay Shamaya's family $9 million. Okay, but does he have $9 million to give? Listen, you liquidate a few things, you might have something on your hands. But I don't know. And of course, the court did attach some... You could get some liens attached to things, especially on a decision like that. You know, Mm -hmm. a judge rules in your favor and they know that the other person has property or something. They can attach like some sort of lien to the property. Now that person can't sell it without, you know, you getting paid first, that kind of thing. Sure. So technically, they allowed them to attach some liens to his wife, or rather ex-wife's property. So remember oh, the whole wow. divorce thing she was trying to do? Yeah. And so, that was in 2013? That was in 2013. There hasn't been, honestly, any updates since that time as far as whether the family has gotten their money, etc. Because the family, again, you can be mm-hmm. awarded $9 million. It doesn't mean you'll you ever see not, $9 million yeah, in you your might lifetime. you ever see it. Yeah, you might not ever see it. Yeah. You know, and... If his assets are far less than that, or even his ex-wife's asset, like, you're not going to see that number. Um, You could put as many liens on things as possible. But I don't know. If they don't got it, they don't got it. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, And also, I should say this, people have loopholes in the legal system that they can try to get through like honestly they could try and transfer some stuff to the kids they could try to transfer some stuff here and there of course yes a fraudulent transfer and stuff like that and the court could try to catch it but i'm just saying there are so many ways around it i think the nine million i don't know definitely send a message mm-hmm. to the families like you can't get away with this but it doesn't bring her back right and right. i know her family knows that and understands that they kind of just I know they're being like consulted by lawyers, I'm sure, and just said, listen, you should file this wrongful death suit because this per- person is responsible for death and you should hold him accountable in civil court. He's already been held accountable in criminal court, but why not? And they did it. And I mean, I think it's fine that they did it, right? Like, good for them. I hope they do get the money. I don't think Shamaya had any kids or anything like that. But I do feel like, yes, his estate should be able to pay out even if that includes like his wife's or ex-wife's money like you pay for your consequences basically like there Mm -hmm. are consequences to your actions these are the consequences to your actions they're going to hit your bank account they're going to hit your they're going to hit many generations to come Mm -hmm. okay and if i wasn't clear before i think i said it right that he was white and wealthy I don't think he said he was white. I don't know if... I don't... Really? You don't think I said I... Yeah, just well, in case... run it back. Run well, it back. I, I might have to run it back, but just in case I didn't say it before, Kenneth Otto Sr. is a white, wealthy man. Um, emphasis on white. And definitely emphasis on wealthy, too. And Shamaya was just a black female, right? Like, growing up in Connecticut, doing her job, and then this dude, for whatever reason, decides to murder her. Again, he, they say he has no rap sheet, blah, blah, blah. But who knows how many who knows? animals this who man knows? Like, I mean, he literally 
think of like the property that he has. Right. He's probably done this before. Right. So I was thinking like, yo, what if this is his MO and his he does fire this? pit? He, who knows? Like this might just be, you know, an episode of you. He might be a Joe in the making and just, you know. Well, people be, understand your Netflix reference. I don't know. I hope but so. But no, he but... could be. He could be somebody who either held it in his whole life and maybe Shamaya was his first victim or she was one of many victims and he just like slipped up this time. That's what I'm saying. You he just never know. Property. There are so much documentaries. Like there's a few documentaries I've watched of kids of like serial killers where the serial killers had the most normal life, like would not hurt a fly. Meanwhile, this person was also doing all kinds of shit on their personal like time when the family would be on vacation. And they, and they're all like shocked because they're like, this was my dad. Like this was my family member. This was this person. And I never saw it. So maybe like his, maybe his ex-wife, she just never saw it. Never saw it coming. Shamaya, obviously, I don't think she saw it. You know, she seemed like very trustworthy of this person, especially if he knew her number and he was able to give her a ride and stuff like that. I think she was trustworthy of him. And I think he took advantage of her trust. And that's messed Mm -hmm. up. And that's messed up. Because, like, come on, like, like, everybody was going about their merry way. Like, you had a whole life that you destroyed. And you destroyed your family's lives, too. No one wins in these situations, right? Shamaya's life, you know, her life is gone. Her family has to live with this, knowing this forever. Her boyfriend, who was in the house when she left, right? He was the last person that saw her. Like, he lives with guilt, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, shoot, if only I took her to work that day. Right. You know, or maybe if I realized sooner she was gone or who she was with, maybe I could have done X, Y, and Z. You know, there's a lot of guilt associated with this kind of stuff. It's very heavy, you know, but this is a story that people need to hear. There is dangers of being a black female in this world. Okay. Then there's a Mm -hmm. whole another set of danger when you're working in certain professions because certain people have it in their heads like oh because you are in this position in life you're working as this you're doing that i can do x y and z to you yeah and that is wrong as people people just need to respect each other no matter what right like Mm -hmm. you don't know someone's story you should not judge them i don't think like when people are like oh i go to the strip club and i do what i want i do this and that no you should still be asking for consent i understand it's a strip club but they don't owe you nothing really they don't Mm -hmm. no one owes you shit and i just don't like like you wouldn't do this on the street but you go into a strip club and think you could act like certain ways no I'm sorry, but, like, I'm an advocate for people who want to be strippers. I'm an advocate for people who want to be in sex work and stuff like that. Of course, if it's coming from a traumatic place, which a lot of times it is, you know, it's good to work through the trauma. But I I am respectful of people's choices. Let's say that. If this is what you choose freely, then I respect that. I respect it. And I think people need to just be mindful of that and also not feel like okay i'm gonna diminish this person or their profession diminishes them to the point that i can do whatever i want because of that that don't make no sense that's not Mm -hmm. rational thinking it sounds like you were raised by wolves if you think like that but i was not raised by a wolf i was i was raised by a dominican mother a praying mother and that is the end of this week's episode 
It was another crazy one. Another just... One one that needs to be heard by people. Like, just be careful. Be careful in whatever you do. A lot of people are just looking for their opportunities to prey on people. It's sad, Mm -hmm. but it's a really startling, harsh truth. You know, any type of... You know, this is a real tragedy Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Like, you took someone's life for what? You know? It's always like, why? 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 And it's, you know, very similar to last week's episode, the burning of the body. Like, right. You want to just, it, really it heightens it even more, you right. know, like a whole other level of just like killing a person. Like, really, it's like double murder. You are really and going for it. You heightened want... level of trauma for the family. Oh, yeah. They can't recognize a person anymore. You're really pushing it. You're desecrating mm-hmm. their body. Like, you're like, okay, I don't want this person to be recognized. And that's like a whole other level of hatred and just like, just, just messed complete up. disregard. Yeah, complete, complete disregard. disregard. Yeah, but if you go to the extent like of doing this, then your thinking isn't human anymore yeah. anyways. So ain't no point in trying to decipher it, their minds and what they're thinking. But I mean, we try to do it every week. So tune in next week because <laughs> we're going to try to do it again. Hope you guys have a very safe week. Keep your head on a swivel. And we'll see you next Next Tuesday. Tuesday. Peace. Or as Kenneth would say, bye from prison. (laughs) Not from prison.